So apparently, uh, there's some, I don't know if there's still there, some lemons in the back? Okay, uh, so if you want some, you can grab some. Apparently, when life throws you lemons, you bring them to Element and give them away. <laughs> so you can grab some. I'm allergic to, to lemons. I can't actually eat them, but anybody really, anybody really like them? I'm not throwing it that far. It's citrus. I can't eat oranges and any of that stuff like that. So, huh? Oh, there's apples, too. Apples to apples, apparently. Uh, as Eric said, uh, on our website, you can sign up for what's called our email update. Weekly, you will get an email that has all kinds of extra stuff on it that tells you everything that's going on around here, hopefully. Uh, and it's kind of sad. Uh, I, I actually had our, my third remove from our email update list, and I have no idea why. I'm like, oh, it's kind of, yeah, you can say, oh, poor me. Yes, it is. I took my, just a little side note, I, I took my wife for her birthday to, to Vegas last week to go see O. Anybody? O? Cirque du Soleil? Okay. So, so we get there, we get to a hotel. Not a nice hotel. We stay at the Venetian. Uh, okay. <laughs> Apparently, you know what it is. They got, this, they got this river running inside the hotel. It's amazing. Anyway, so we get up to our room, and apparently in the room, the refrigerator is pressure sensitive. So if you take out, like, water out of your fridge, they know. It's like, yeah, it's like freaky. And so, like, if you go to, like, Subway to, like, buy a sandwich because it's cheaper than paying $2 million at the hotel, uh, and you bring, like, have your sandwich back to put it in the fridge and you want to move some stuff back to put your sandwich in the fridge, you can't. If you move stuff, it's like, oh, you move that stuff, you bought it. And so you can't. Seriously, and I'm thinking, I need to get one of these at home. <laughs> you know, put my chips on it on top of the fridge, and when someone comes over and eats my chips, I know who's eating my chips. And I'll charge them $18 for it. That's, that's just what I'm thinking. Um, if you are interested in playing softball, uh, and see, this is the same way I did last service, see, so this is what I said, basically. Uh, if you're interested in playing softball, we are having a meeting after this service today, so if you want to play, just hang out. Uh, we want to actually field two co-ed teams this next season, which means we need about four to six more girls and about four more guys. So if you thought, oh, I'd like to play softball, that sounds fun, even if you're not very good, well, we're going to have like a lower league, and an upper, so we'll, you, you can play with us on the lower league, and we, we can either do it on a Monday or a Thursday night, so you should play. And then if you're a dude going, yeah, I want to play, grab a girl next to you and say, you need to play with me so that we can get some girls. Because unless you want to wear a wig and run around wearing lemons in your shirt because we got extras. But, you know, we, we need girls, okay? So after the, I didn't say that last service, by the way. Uh, after, after the 11 o'clock, sir, after this service, hang out with us. And hopefully if you want to play softball, we can get you on the list and get you some information and stuff. Any questions? And then tomorrow, we're, uh, our code team's in the playoffs, so you can come and watch us. Maybe. Um, lastly, uh, do we... Okay, Joanna's here. Is there any other... Stand up for me. This is Joanna. Anybody else leaving for college this week? Anybody else? I, I, Robin was the last of us. I made her stand up. Are you really? Okay, what I want you guys to do, and I want you to look at, look at these two girls here. Okay, apparently dudes don't go to college anymore. Uh, <laughs> Look at the two girls, and if you guys have a, you know, a daily quiet time or you're praying during the week, I want you at some point to remember them, and I want you to pray for them as they go to college, okay? because honestly, your first year of college, you really need it. You, you need a lot of prayer and, and a lot of stability, so just remember them, and I want you guys to pray for them. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, now, Johanna and Robin, another girl in first service, work in the children's department, so they're going to be looking for some workers, by the way, too. No, really? They're, yeah, they're all going to college, apparently, yeah. So, yeah, you should go and help out with the children's department. That's my plug for that. Why don't you guys stand on the arena of God's word? We'll get going. 
This is Ephesians 6.12, and it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people to understand uh, what this battle is and this war that we find ourselves in and how we can fight uh, correctly, how we can trust you and the authority that you give to us as people uh, to be under you and also speak boldly for your name. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is the first week out of the Gospel of John. And I was talking to James this week, and James says, yeah, a couple, a couple people were like, man, I'm so glad we're done with John. And I'm like, why? It was all good, I thought. Anyway, this is our first week out. I'm going to tell you how the next month and a couple weeks are going to go. Maybe you'll like this. Maybe you'll just totally hate it and never come back again. Whatever, it's up to you. Uh, I was going to do a series of questions just as we came out of John, just a little different, of a series of questions posed by movies, because I get asked a lot of questions by people by things they see in movies, because you all watch too much TV, apparently. Uh, so, I, so I was going to do uh, a thing on the Da Vinci Code, which I actually am next month. We're going to do a week on that. I'm going to give you guys popcorn so you can watch the clips as we go through it. <laughs> see, look at that. <laughs> That's just perfect. Perfect timing. Uh, and then we're going to do the movie Religulous because there's some questions raised in that. But most of the questions I get from people are about spiritual warfare and horror movies and demons. And they all kind of came down to the same type of questions. So we're going to do a four-week series on what's called spiritual warfare. I'm going to do the first couple weeks. Uh, James and Eric are going to come and do the last couple weeks in this and try and pull this whole thing all together. Uh, Really, uh, you know me, hopefully by now. If you're new, welcome, and you're getting to know me a little bit. I say things like lemons in the shirt, apparently. Uh, but if you know me scripture-wise and, and who I am and how serious I am about who Jesus is, you know that I don't jump on bandwagons. I am, I am not a person who just accepts things because everybody else does. I want to know what scripture teaches. I want to know what the truth is, and that's what we go with, and that's what I teach you. So that today, there are a lot of TV shows and movies that do quite well with supernatural subjects. There's cartoons of demon hunters there's a tv show called supernatural tv show called reaper got canceled i'm kind of bummed about it uh there's a movies like constantine movies like the exorcist the list goes on and on and on and on and it really doesn't end so we're going to take four weeks to talk about spiritual warfare from a biblical point of view okay with a little bit of history and a little bit of truth not some hyper hyper emotional hanky to your forehead freak out type of thing uh, we just spent a year looking at the truth in John and who Jesus is, so hopefully you have a good idea of what that truth is. Today we're going to look at Satan and his lies. Satan and his lies. Uh, lies that I think much of Christianity today actually believes because we are like hyper-emotional junior high school girls on their first day of school, and we don't know what to do with our spirituality, so we run to what anybody tells us. My job is to give you the truth. It is not to sugarcoat it or candy coat things for you. I'm just going to give you the truth simply. James told me, I went through some of this with him this week, and he said, that's a lot of information. And so keep up, and, and you'll be okay. I have, I have faith that you guys can, can do this with me. So here, here's truth. First off, that we're in a war with an invisible enemy. Uh, this is a spiritual battle. When you're in war, you look at ways to win a war. The enemy is trying to win, as are the victory for you and I has actually already been won. And so the first thing I'll say is this. We believe, because Scripture teaches, that Satan or the devil is real. Okay, we believe that he is real. If you have your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 3. It's in the very beginning of the Bible. <laughs> Just in case. Okay, you know, you've probably got a little you know, concordance that says where, you know, and then the next thing, Genesis. Works like that. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. 
It starts like this. It says, Now the serpent, and Revelation tells you he's a dragon, it's poetic, but it's literal. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The point starts off like this. Satan is smarter than you. You may say, I don't think so. That just proves my point, okay? Satan is smarter than you. Second Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Okay? He has schemes. He has a plan. And we must listen to God so we are not outwitted by him. We are born into a war. Satan's goal is to get you to participate in his rebellion against God. This is what we call sin. And there's two reasons why he's good at this. The first one is that he is smarter, with you, smarter than you. And the second one is that he has much more time doing it. He is more experienced. And he is a bitter enemy of God's people that is smarter and more experienced. So as we talk about this, I'll give you some history. As I said, James and Eric will come in in two weeks from now, and they will give you uh, some proper ways to fight. We'll call this the armor of God at that point. Uh, so we're going to talk about this, like I said, give you a little bit of history this morning, because there is a lot of people with different ideas about what spiritual warfare looks like, but I will tell you, God's is the one we need to listen to, because God's is truth. You go to Amazon.com, and you type in spiritual warfare, you get hits on 500 different titles. If you go to Google, and you type in spiritual warfare, you get 1,390,000 page matches in less than a second. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. You type in just the devil, 117 million page matches, less than a second. It's amazing. Satan has a strategy in this war, and that is to get you to think anything about him but the truth. And he seems to be winning on that front. Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book called Lord Falgren's Letters. Uh, a few years ago, C.S. Lewis writes a book called The Screwtape Letters. And it's about an older demon writing to a younger demon of how to outwit people. Well, uh, Randy Alcorn's book is kind of a newer version of the screw tape letter. So there's a, there's a demon instructing his understudy, and this is what he says to an understudy. He says, we can benefit immensely from any view of us but the true one. And that is very true. Today there are many views that are not true. The first is that Satan doesn't exist when he does. The other is that he is very powerful and he's not, or that he is all-knowing and he is not, that he's weak. Or that he gets a bum rap. He's like a crackhead in jail. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. You know, it's, that's like poor Satan. You got a bum rap. The truth is this. Satan has a name and his name is Lucifer. Satan is actually a term used in the Bible for adversary. It's what he does. It's, it's kind of, you know, that's why they give him that title. It's, it's what he does. In 1 Samuel 29, 4, it says this. But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, Send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against. The word turn against is the word Satan. He will turn against us during the fighting. It's what he does. Turns against people. Okay, He is the adversary. Just like Jesus has, has a title called Christ or Messiah, Lucifer is called Satan. It's a title for what he does. The word the devil means the slanderer. Okay, it's for what he does. The word Satan is used 18 times in the Old Testament. 14 of those are in Job 1 and 2, where Satan is accusing Job before God. He is Job's adversary. It is used 36 times in the New Testament. Again, truth. Truth is this. Uh, Satan is our enemy. He is our enemy. He is not God's great enemy. It, it, Satan's like a buzzing fly to who God is. Again, in the book of Job, you'll see this. Satan is Job's adversary accusing him before God. He is our enemy. So we say things like, oh, he's so strong. No, he's just very smart. Okay, He's very smart, again, smarter than you. He is not all powerful as movies like to portray where he and God are in this cosmic struggle and, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Bite your fingernails. You know What's going on with that? He cannot read your mind, although I think he can put thoughts there. 
But what does he do? Uh, Matthew 16.23 says he works against the followers of Christ. Luke 22.31 says he wants to test you. 2 Corinthians 11.14 and Revelation 20 verses 7 and 8 says he masquerades as an angel of light for his purposes. Mark 4.15, Luke 8.12 and 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says he opposes the truth of Christ and he tries to take away the planted seed of the gospel that is given to people. We are also told, though, that he is a defeated enemy and he has no authority over somebody who believes in Jesus. Uh, Jesus at one point sends out 72 of his disciples to go around the countryside in the book of Luke. Okay? So they go out and they're, and they're proclaiming the gospel and they come back to Jesus at the end of this. And in Luke 10, 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, meaning Satan lost all power he had over these people who believed. Satan wants you to make you think, though, that he is not defeated, that he's not defeated. The truth is that Satan is an angel that was created by God, but what does he look like? Okay, what does he look like? There are lots of images. We don't really have uh, Satan Weekly where it can be like, oh, this is Satan by the pool, and this is Satan down at the beach, you know, and, and this is Satan out on the town in Vegas with his pressure-sensitive fridge. You know, and, you know, we, we don't have those things, but we do have this. Here, here's a picture. Okay. Hey? It's like, oh, that, that's kind of crazy. What's the eye in his forehead thing, and his, his mouth is falling off? You know, what's up with that? You know, Satan was an angel. Okay, so he is probably actually very beautiful and doesn't look like this at all. Here, here's a picture. See, that's from like Satan Weekly. It's like, okay. right? <laughs> but he probably is very beautiful. He probably looks like that. But this is kind of what we get today. This is what he looks like today when, in everybody's mind. Okay, it's like, Ooh, right? That's what people think. Okay, so how did we get to this? How, how did we get to what we view as, as Satan today? Charles uh, Panatti, in his book, Sacred Origin of Profound Things, he writes this. Early in the Middle Ages, Pan was the horn uh, god of some Greeks and also seen as the horn concert of the goddess. Later, he was given additional attributes, a long serpentine tail with a heart-shaped tip, long claw-like fingernails, the leathery wings of a bat, and a trident. Essentially, what happens is Christianity begins to spread. Okay, it starts, you know, starts going all over the Roman Empire and going out into all the places, you know, where the Goths and all these people are living. As it goes further out, they start encountering Pan in a lot of Greek mythology that these people have adopted. This becomes, for the church, their largest adversary. Their largest adversary. Okay? B.G. Walker writes, In the Middle Ages, many of the attributes of the Greek god Pan were absorbed by Satan. Goat hooves, horns, and an unremitting lust, sometimes also a goat head, and an attendant throng of satires who became demons. Hey, I've got a picture of this. This is called Satan's Council. Okay, so you've got all these demons hanging, hanging around. And because people have a tendency to go to the bizarre attributes like a serpent got mixed with Middle Age and Greek folklore, Eventually, in the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church comes along, and they call any religious practice outside of the Catholic Church Satanism. Satanism. Now, is it Satanism? Eh, maybe. Yes and no. You know, it's not following Jesus. Uh, what is it? You know, it's just like paganism. Is it? Is it not? Well, it's probably probably both. Now, so so what, what do we see of him today? You know, what, what in our minds does he look like today? I'm going to show you a video clip of how demons and Satan and, and this horror thing. So I'm going to warn you up front, if you don't like horror movies, you know, like you, you pee, you know, just don't watch it. Uh, if, you, if you have a kid and you don't let your kids watch stuff like this, uh, the clip is two minutes long. Okay, it's two minutes long. You grab your kid's first service. This guy goes, okay. And he walks out for two minutes. His kid's like three years old. I'm like, good for you. So I'm just going to warn you before I show this clip, but this is how Satan and demon and possessions is viewed today. You ready? I love it when he punches. It's great. 
this, this is what's portrayed by Hollywood today. This, this is a normal view of demons and possession. You know, the priest can't do it. Pull out your voodoo. You know, put your little thing. Oh, do this little thing, and I'm going to smush it against the demon's forehead. Get some holy water. Throw it on him. It's going to make him burn and stuff like that. How did we get to this? How we, how we do this today? Fifty years ago, there's this thing called the modernist movement. And it started to deny everything spiritual, actually. Uh, Satan's kind of pretty much dead. And then there's all of a sudden this kind of this major jump in satanic interest. It goes back to the 19th and 20th century spiritism, communication with the dead, Harry Houdini, you know, and, and all these ideas with that. In Satanic Panic, the rise of a contemporary legend, the guy who writes this book actually chronicles this and shows you the spread from culture into Christianity. In 1965, Anton Zandolivet, he forms what's called the Church of Satan. And Christians freak out, even though the Church of Satan doesn't view Satan as the biblical Satan. It's totally different. 1968, he writes the Satanic Bible. And again, everybody, oh my goodness, Satanic Bible, what's that look like? You know, something you'd see like in the TV show Supernatural. In 1968, this movie comes out called Rosemary's Baby. Ah, Satan's going to have a baby. Oh, it looks so nice. A little stroller on top of the hill. That's pretty. So nice. I'm glad Satan takes the time to put his baby in a nice spot. Okay, whatever. Uh, in 1973, you got a movie called The Exorcist comes out. you got this little girl named Reagan, and her head spins around, and she shoots vomit and does crazy things with crosses. Uh, in 1976, after this comes out, you have a guy named Malachi Martin, who was a Jesuit priest, and he writes a book called Hostage to the Devil. And this book plans into flame, this whole idea of exorcism. And he's like, oh, everybody needs to get exercised, all this stuff going on. Despite those who knew him the most, actually said that he had a remarkable talent for fabrication and embellishment, for converting by literary sleight of hand half-truths and innuendo into immutable facts of history. In other words, he likes to lie a lot. In 1976, the world's most famous demonologist called Ed and Lorraine Warren, they come out with a story better known as, anybody? Amityville Horror. The Amityville Horror. This is a house where multiple murders take place, and the place is deemed a hellmouth, a place of you know intense demonic activity. They conducted seances live on TV in this house. There's a media frenzy. Uh, the Warrens go on to make other movies called Ghost Hunters, The Haunted, uh, where it shows demons able to claw and bite and scratch people. They even brought back the middle age idea of incubi, who are sexual demons who would rape women and pleasure men which I think is totally funny because some dude must have made that one up. You know? <laughs> oh, they rape women, but they pleasure the men, whatever. Uh, in 1983, M. Scott Peck, who's a psychiatrist, comes out with a book called The People of the Lie, saying that exorcism is heroic and it helps many of his patients. M. Scott Peck actually says that he based his views on the exorcist and hostage to the devil. So you get to the end of the 80s, and all of a sudden TV shows start coming out that are really into this. The X-Files, a lot of the ideas in the X-Files are pushed by this. The movies, The, the Omen, modern horror movies like The Grudge, even the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the entire town resides on top of a hellmouth. A hellmouth, you know, where demons come out. And the church begins to stop thinking critically, and they start thinking emotionally. We, they became influenced by all of these ideas. Christians turned from cultural change agents into cultural conformists. In the 20th century, Freud you know, blamed all current problems, whether physical, mental, emotional, on past traumatic experiences. Even though he had no evidence, he said, whatever malady you have, it's a past traumatic ex experience, and that's where it comes from. In the church, the church started to blame all of their problems on the devil. 
and on demons. Spiritism and blame comes together to make what we imagine true. Scared people so bad that in the 80s and 90s, today we look back and we call this the great Satanism scare. It's kind of like the Salem witch trials because there's rumors of vast, international, multi-generational, almost undetectable underground satanic conspiracies. And it's described in books like Michelle Remembers and Satan's Underground and The Satan Seller. These books are flying off the shelves and being read by Christians where they blur the lines between what God says and what Hollywood says. And all of those books were lies. They were not true. And we gave Satan way too much power in the battle. Malcolm McGrath in his book Demons in the Modern World writes this. He says, Unsubstantiated sensational personal testimonies fostered an unprecedented period of criminal prosecution, psychiatric institutionalization, and family disintegration. You guys remember this thing in the 80s called the McMartin Preschool? Where there's where like, oh, they're doing satanic rites with these kids under the preschool and in, in all these caverns and caves. It was a lie. It wasn't true. I actually had a lady this morning after first service come up to me and she goes, thanks for saying that because those are my relatives and they got destroyed because of that. It wasn't true. My job is to balance you. My job is to give you truth as best I can because many churches and a lot of Christians still live in that mode. Sometimes when Christians only think emotionally, they get sucked into many schemes. The fascination with demons in, in our cu church culture has led to this gigantic thing called the deliverance movement within Christianity. Michael Cuneo writes this. He says it's a great scheme with everyone's personal problem, depression, anxiety, substance addiction, or even a runaway sexual appetite. There are exorcism ministries available today that will happily claim expertise for dealing with it, with a significant bonus, moreover, that no one is responsible for the most part uh, for the problem. Indwelling demons are mainly to blame, and getting rid of them is the key to moral and psychological redemption. In the first century, uh, the, the church, uh, there are a lot of people in the church and they were saying, oh, well, God is testing me. God is, God is testing me with these things here. And so if I give into this temptation, well, it's not really my fault because God's the one that's testing me. So in the book of James, James, he goes, he goes no one should say God is testing, testing me. You are led astray by your own desires. In the 20th century, in the church, the 21st century, now we say Satan made us did it, do it. Now, I will tell you, Satan can bait the hook, and he's very good at baiting a hook, but you are the one that bites, and you are the one that is responsible for it. Deliverance ministries are pushed by various people today. Bob Larson, he has a radio talk show. He believes demons can trigger hundreds of fire alarms simultaneously, materialize weapons out of thin air, tamper with car brakes, cause earthquakes registering 5.0 on the Richter scale. He recounts in his book, In the Name of Satan, how a girl was impregnated by a demon of incubi, and they had to sit around and pray that Satan's unnatural fetus would be aborted. Neil Anderson, in his book, The Bondage Breaker, he says there are breeders out there who are producing children expressly for sacrifice or development into leaders and infiltrators committed to disrupting Christian ministry. He warns you in his book that Satanists meet from midnight to 3 a.m. I don't know why they meet at that time. So if you get woken up at that time, you may have been visited by a demon. So you don't have to go pee. It's, it's, a, it's a demon. And that's what it is. Wake up and be like, oh, I don't have to go pee. That's just a demon. I better be asleep. Then you wet the bed. Oh, see, the devil made you do it. Okay? He says that 85% of Christians are involved in some type of satanic bondage. And ideas like this have led to the belief in Christianity that Christians need to be delivered from demons, that we can be possessed by demons. When the truth of Scripture teaches plainly that believers cannot be possessed by demons, it is all Hollywood and all hype. Our experiences must always be judged by the truth of Scripture, not the other way around. Don Basham actually writes a book called Deliver Us From Evil, and he states 95% of his exorcisms are deliverance exorcisms which involve Christians. He says, I have a hard time putting that together with Scripture. 
Of course you do. Of course you do. But he says his experience is overwhelming. So his beliefs become based upon experience and not of the objective truth that is Scripture. And we need to base everything we do upon God's Word. The truth is, what does the Bible say? Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Well, the word possessed can actually mean three different things. The first thing possessed can mean is own. Own. Open to John chapter 10. It's a good book, this book of John. Maybe one day we'll look at it. I don't know. Okay. Possessed can mean own. Can a Christian belong to Satan? The answer is no. The answer is no. John chapter 10. Verse 28. John 10, 28 says this. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Can a Christian belong to Satan? No. No. Uh, the, the word possess can also mean dominate. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Can a Christian be controlled or dominated by a demon or Satan? The answer is no. Jesus cancels this out in, in this verse. Uh, Matthew twelve twenty five. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house? The strong man, in this sense, uh, references the devil or a demon. On the other hand, so what Jesus' wording leads you to is that if a demon wanted to possess a Christian, who would he have to bind up in order to take control? Jesus. Exactly. God himself. And that is not going to happen. Now, can a non-believer be dominated by a demon? Sure. Does it happen as much as movies say? I highly doubt it. Okay, But Matthew 12, 43, just go a few verses farther. And Jesus says this, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. The point is that the man's unoccupied unoccupied. If we are unoccupied, we leave ourselves open for all sorts of stuff. But if our house, if our soul, if our, if our life is Christ's home, Satan can find no place in you. Okay? So for all those, those of you who watch scary movies, go, oh, <laughs> or not. Okay. You can just, okay. The third thing possessed can mean is influence, or you can actually use the word oppress. Can a Christian be influenced? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Uh, John 10.10 uh, says that Satan tries to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan actually tries to tempt Jesus in the same way in Matthew 4, 1 through 11 and Luke 4, 1 through 13. But Satan can never take authority over you. Okay? He can whisper thoughts in your ears, the things that your heart longs for that will lead you to destruction. Like, oh, just, just one more pair of shoes. I know you got 80, but 81's the magic number. You know, you just need one more pair of shoes. Oh, there's no one around. No one's ever going to know. Just click on that website, you know. It, or uh, buy that country music CD. You know, it's, it's right there. It's just waiting for me. <laughs> uh, also, I think what Satan also does is he likes to mimic and pervert God and God's work. And so I think maybe there's sometimes when you will have a sincere heart and all of a sudden upon you gets heaped a whole bunch of guilt and conviction that can cause you to frantically search for some hidden sin or something that's going on inside of you. And where is this? And what? And you're... <gasps> Because Satan's whole goal in the war is to get your eyes off of Jesus 
and on yourself. That's what he wants. When God convicts you, it is with compassion to build you up and to move you on. Satan will seek to defeat and discourage you. Christians can be accused, deceived, they can be tempted, but they may, and they may yield to those attacks, but they never, ever have to. Colossians 2.15 tells us that Jesus has already disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them by the cross. We don't have to do anything to win. We don't have to chant little things or pull out our little things we stick in the window and freak out the demons with. You know, we, we don't need all this stuff to win. Victory already has been won. Jesus did it. Our challenge is to believe in that authority. When Jesus was attacked, you know, he didn't argue theology. In Matthew 4, 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't go, well, I've made it. Aren't they really mine? Uh, let's talk about this. How are you going to give me the kingdoms of the earth? What's that going to look like when you do? He, he doesn't get in a debate. He doesn't ask for more information. Jesus simply looks and he quotes scripture. That's what he does. You know, as you look through scripture, you will see no credible account of a believer ever being possessed. Instead, what you see is that Christians cannot be compelled against their will through demonic habitation. Okay, if you follow Christ, the king of the universe lives in you. John 14, 23, it says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Romans 8, 9 through 17 shows the whole trinity is involved in that process. Being demon-possessed and honoring God are mutually exclusive. Romans 12.3 says, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Honestly, seriously, what good would it be for Satan, if he could, to make you curse God? It wouldn't be you. It wouldn't be you. He is more interested in making you ineffective in reaching the world with Christ's love. That's what he wants to do to you. We must take care, and I don't want you to think that I am just totally saying, oh, get rid of this, because Satan is alive and well, okay? He's alive and well, but never overestimate his power. In Matthew 6, 13, Jesus, in, in the Lord's Prayer, he says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Temptation and evil one are the two things that are connected. It's what he does. Jesus doesn't say, and don't lead us into possession. He says, don't lead us into temptation, Saying that Satan made you do something is a complete cop-out. It's trying to blame blame somewhere other than yourself. Again, James 1.14, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. Paul says, even says, when we look back at our life and not forward to who Christ is, and we're just looking at our old life, we get our eyes off of Christ and we become defeated. In Ephesians 2, 2, and 3, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. When you look back, you are not looking at Jesus. And your eyes are off of where they're supposed to be. To say a demon could control a Christian or they can impregnate or sexually abuse people belongs in movies or Greek mythology. Making demons of lust and anger and rage and addiction is a way of not taking responsibility for our actions, which God calls us to do. Sin springs out of our hearts. Satan can tempt you, yes, but it's a decision that we are the ones that give into. Because again, Satan wants your eyes anywhere but upon Jesus. And when we get distracted, we usually come be focused on us. Oh, look at my problems. Look at my guilt. And our eyes are never where they're supposed to be, upon Christ. A proper focus for spiritual warfare is always on Jesus, not Satan. Always on Jesus. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And this is truth and righteousness and peace and justice and the word of God. 
That's what those are. Uh, Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. In the faith. Satan is, is a lion, but he's on a leash, the length of which is determined by God. In, in the book of Colossians, you, you get a lot of ancient battle metaphors, the imagery that this comes from. And, and this is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. And it says, For he has rescued us, that's you and I, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The battle has been fought. The victory has been won. And you are people who don't have to run around and be afraid all the time of what movies show you. I'll tell you this. You know what word more than any other in Scripture explains this idea of victory? It's the word grace. The word grace. God has done this for you. And we don't deserve it, but he does it because he simply loves us. Not because we are so good, but because he is so good. So we are to be a people who live in grace and truth and don't believe the hype and the lies. We are those who live honestly before the culture in which we live. And we keep our eyes focused on Jesus because the victory has already been won there. This is one of the reasons I bring you guys to communion every single week. Because communion also reminds you that the victory has been won. It's right there. He triumphed over our enemies at the cross. And so you take that cracker and you break it and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds us of his body, which was shed for us, and his blood, which was shed for us, to win victory for us. So you don't have to go around and go, I'm going to chant this thing or pull up my, my special voodoo doll or go get me some holy water that's been blessed by a priest and, you know, and throw it on thing. Yeah. The victory's won. The victory's won for you, Period. We're going to worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back of the hallway. And if you are somebody who has lived your life in such a way that you, you're blaming everybody, everything else for your problems, you need to pray with them. And if you are someone who maybe feels like you have a whole lot of guilt heaped upon you, and maybe you're having a hard time seeing straight, we would love to pray with you also. Because, you know, as I said, we do believe that there is, you know, this temptation and oppression and things like that can happen. And so we'd like to pray for you as well. Uh, so we're going to worship God through community through prayer. The band's going to come back up. We're going to do a couple songs. And as they do these, I encourage you, you know, thank God where you're at, taking me to thank God for winning the victory for you, okay, that, you know, you don't have to call on Keanu Reeves <laughs> to come to your house and, and be like, whoa, Stephen, you know, you know, <laughs> punch you in the face or something like that, you know, the, the victory has won. So pray, you see, God thanks for winning the victory. Help me to not be sucked into all these things and actually to live in the truth. I hate movies who... They're always quoting like, oh, in the book of this and this, it says this. I, I've gone to see so many movies who actually say the Bible says, and I'm like, the Bible doesn't say that. And yet people don't know the Bible are like, oh, it so says that. Oh, my goodness. I'm just like, crazy people, just crazy. You know, God has given you victory. God has given you victory. Live and walk in that victory. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the sidewall and in the very back. Uh, don't, I told for service this, don't take your old horror movies you're afraid of and stick them in there. I don't want them. Uh, but uh, we give simply because God gave so much to us. And uh, also, uh, we're going to worship God through fellowship. Where we as a people, after this is done, we, we hang out, you get to know each other. Because honestly, God calls us as a people to live in community where we can help each other live in strength. So maybe, you know, some person is, is very scared and very emotional about a lot of stuff. You, if you're starry, you come alongside them and you help them not to worry about it so much because you're their friend and you walk them through this life. Just like God promises to walk through life with us. We are a people learning to do life together. And again, once you leave this place, you remember... Jesus won the victory already, okay? You don't have to do anything but believe in him and trust in his grace given to you. Let's pray. Father, this morning.
I do ask that we as a people would learn how to walk in your grace and in your truth. That we would trust you for the victory that you have won. And we wouldn't be a people who are scared of our shadows. We wouldn't be afraid that Satan's going to jump up and get us. Because we would be a people who are solely focused on you. And the grace that you have given to us. God, have us be a people who, who live in the strength of the conviction. Of your power of your goodness and your life that you long to live through us. Teach us to be people that don't get so distracted by all these things that we stop living for you. God, we want to be a people that that can claim that you have our hearts and then that we are yours forever. Because everything is in your hands, including us. And we can rest and trust in your mighty hands. Thank you for being our God who has been so good to us. Amen.